Can I have faith and unbelief? Yes. Let's talk about it. Father, today I ask for your anointing to come and your presence to let your word be powerful and effective and transformative in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Last week I spoke on the four dimensions of faith and then the four dimensions of doubt and concluded with the seven influences that cause us to experience doubt. These seven influences, among which are the enemy, the media, um, our educational systems, and even our culture, affect us more than we realize. In 2 Peter 2, verses 7 through 8, Peter tells us about Lot when he first moved to Sodom. He was vexed and perplexed and annoyed by the ungodly practices of the people who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the longer he stayed there, the less it bothered him. Until by the time that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, we read in Acts 19, Acts 18 and 19, as you read that story, Lot was actually sitting in the, the gates of the city as one of its elders. That's where the, the city council sat. What happened is called the frog in the kettle syndrome. A frog is an amphibious creature that is a reptile. We know that. And therefore, it does not generate body heat. It draws it from the environment. Unlike me and you, which our temperature is going to, if we're healthy, be around somewhere around 98.6 degrees or somewhere in that vicinity. You know, if it gets too low down, we get really sick. If it gets higher than that, we call it a fever. The frog and most amphibious creatures are directly Im impacted by the environmental temperature, the ambient temperature. Therefore, if it's 78 degrees in the room, that's the temperature, the core temperature of a, of a, of a reptile, a frog. In this case, you put it in a, 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 a kettle of water and it's boiling hot. That frog is going to try to get out desperately before it dies. On the other hand, you take the same frog and put it in a kettle of water that is the same temperature as its body and slowly turn the heat up. You can elevate that heat until that frog literally is cooked to death and it doesn't even know it's dying because you're raising the temperature so slowly that it doesn't even realize what's happening to it. And this is what's, I believe, and I, this is an accurate description of where many in the church are. Our culture has affected us and our children until we don't even realize how much it's affected us. This is what happened with, with Lot. He first goes to Sodom. He's perplexed and annoyed by what the culture is telling him is okay. But after he stays in it long enough, he becomes a part of the very system that he deplored and that he knew was, was wrong and failed to honor God. Similarly, it is important that we understand how all of these influences affect us. The most powerful kingdom key, as I said, is faith because it accesses all of the others. Whenever you have a God encounter, it usually, and salvation occurs, most of us get saved. It's an emotional moment. We surrender to God. Just the act of surrender is by itself an emotional moment. It's when you stand up and say, I can't do this by myself anymore. Like the song we sang a while ago, I need thee every hour. I, when you finally say, I'm not able to do it by myself, and you reach that point, there's something powerful in that. And when you further ask God to take over your life and you have an encounter with God, I mean, there's a high that comes from that. The result of that is, however, that you've got to go back out into the world now and live the life as a believer. 
And you're going to encounter these seven forces that I talked about that are going to try to bleed out of you your faith. And what the, the way this works is they ask questions. Questions are formulated that you begin to ask that you may not have answers for, which in turn you begin to express around fellow believers. And watch what happens. They begin to judge you. Because you ask questions, you don't have much faith. You're not going to be considered for elevation in that ministry. You hear the questions he's asking? He's not even sure if God heals. That's not wrong, beloved. For somebody to ask questions is not a mark against them. It is a mark in their favor, I believe, if they're sincere. But oftentimes we allow our questions to go underground because the believers intimidate us. Father, when we get back out in that so-called educational, worldly system, culture, and all of these other things, they're laughing at us, har, 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 you Christians. You know, we believe in truth as defined by logic, they say. And you guys are guilty of magical thinking. God, and they make fun of us. And once again, our desire to be accepted begins to re-exert itself, and we feel ashamed. And we go underground then with our questions. And the next thing you know, unaddressed, and unaddressed questions harden into unbelief. They fester and they grow. This leads to the wrong kind of, of doubt. The worst of the four types that I talked about is unbelief. And this can stand in your way. We're afraid to ask questions. And I, I want to ask you as believers, why? Why do Christians intimidate each other when we ought to be providing answers and encouraging each other? We shouldn't just be saying, bless God, that's the way it is. Uh-uh. You know, uh-uh, give, give reasonable, you know, foundations for our beliefs. You say, but I'm afraid that if I express my doubt that God will be upset with me. He wasn't with a man. Question I want to ask you is, does honest, sincere doubt hinder you? No, is the answer. If you don't believe me, look at the man. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Instantly, Jesus turned and healed his son and cast out the demonic spirit. Did it hinder John the Baptist? John was arguably the world's first Christian because he saw something in the one coming down Jordan's banks that nobody else saw. He stopped and said, Behold, look, right over there, coming down that hill. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus came to be baptized, John is so submitted to what he has been impacted by that he says, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus says, Just allow it to happen to fulfill the pattern of righteousness that the Father has laid out. And this same John, six months later, is in prison, sending emissaries, his disciples, to Jesus to ask the question, are you the one we were supposed to see, or, or we should we be looking for another? you the one that's supposed to come? And whenever Jesus was asked that question by the followers of John the Baptist, notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, John, boy, he, he lost it. I mean... Poor guy, y'all pray for him. He's, he's, about, he's about gone now. He's backslid. Now he, John is beyond help unless God does a miracle. No, Jesus didn't say that. Whenever he heard John's question, he just simply told the disciples, go tell them what you've seen. The blind have their eyes open, the deaf ears unstopped, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The lame are walking. He said, you go tell John that. And then he turned around and looked at the crowd. And he said, I want to tell you something. Even having heard John's doubt, this is my assessment. 
among all of those ever born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Of all the prophets that have ever walked the face of this planet, John surpasses them all. This is what Jesus declared at the moment John is confessing doubt. That means more than Abraham. That means more than David. That means, are you getting this? More than Ezekiel or Isaiah. That means more than King Hezekiah or even King Jehoshaphat. It means more than Ezra and Nehemiah. Habakkuk. It means more than Malachi. It means more than Joel. Any of these, these, these great men of faith in the Old Testament Jesus said John the Baptist was greater. Even in the moment of his doubt, Jesus did not belittle him. He honored him because he knew that his doubt was coming from a sincere position of seeking truth. You need to understand that God has the capacity and always will distinguish the difference between doubt caused by seeking answers and unbelief that is caused by arrogance and rejection. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. These questions don't go away. They fester and go underground. And someday, if we don't answer them, the enemy will harden those into arrogance and unbelief. Someday he will. I've told you that the the word unbelief has two root meanings. One is to not believe because you don't have knowledge of it yet. But that's easily fixed because you provide that person with knowledge and they say... I didn't know God was a healer, but now I know I'm going to pray for healing. Okay? That fixed the first kind. The second kind is different. It's unbelief formed in human will and pride where you fold your arms and on the inside you're saying, I don't care what they show me. I'm not going to accept it. This is the kind of unbelief that Israel had in the wilderness. They saw God's miracles. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, they did. Manna on the ground every day. They passed through the waters of the Red Sea. These days, you go to university, this is what they tell you. Ha, 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 you Christians, oh, your case, your trip, man. You believe they, that God parted the waters of the Red Sea? <laughs> they, they said, this is really the truth. The northern part of the Red Sea is called the Reed Sea. Reeds like, like reeds that grow in a marsh. And there's a swamp there where the water is only a couple inches, a few inches deep. That's really where Israel crossed over. And that's what college professors will tell you. Until one day in a certain professor's classroom, a student raised his hand and said, well, in my opinion, professor, doctor, that's an even greater miracle. And the professor said, how do you see that? He said, well, if God drowned Pharaoh and his chariots in ankle-deep water, that's a bigger miracle than if he parted the waters of the Red Sea. Amen. You need to understand, you know, you need to realize that Israel saw miracles like parting of the Red Sea, manna on the ground, a rock following them gushing water, clothes and shoes that never wore out for 40 years. When they came to Jordan's river, God said, send 12 spies (coughs) to spy out the land so they can find the best routes for the army of Israel to pass through to take dominion. And 12 spies came back, and 10 of them brought a bad report and said, we're not going. You can go if you want to, but there are giants and walled cities in that land. And all of Israel began to tremble. And the two of them came back and said, we're well able. God said he would give it to us. Let's go. They said, we're not going. And with obstinacy, they folded their arms and said, God, we're not going. And you know what God said? You're right, you're not. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until they died. 
And this is what the scripture says about all of that, ladies and gentlemen. You need to understand this, that the Bible does not, does not in any way condone that kind of unbelief. Amen. In Hebrews 3, 17 through 19, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So, listen. We see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The question is this. Can doubt stop you? Yes, it can stop you. Depends on what kind of doubt. Does every doubt have to be answered before you can move forward? No. The man on the side of the mountain proved that, as did John the Baptist. Can some doubts keep you from following Christ? Another honest answer. Yes, they can you have to resolve, first of all, that you're making a commitment to believe God. And when you make that and get that out of the way, and you have to know there is a God, those are questions that must be answered, which is why I'm addressing these particular issues in this series, such as, is there a God? Because every day of your life, you're being bombarded by the media and materials that are coming at you from all sides that are making you wonder about some of these things. So the question then becomes, ladies and gentlemen, what do you do? Is it okay to have doubt? Yes. But what you're doing is looking for answers. Jesus never rejected the sincere seeker. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Seeking you shall find. That's what the book said. Amen. That's God's promise to you. And so we should never be afraid to express any of the concerns we have in the house of God and bury them for fear somebody else is going to intimidate us because we should not allow that to happen. I've seen through the years people stand with the folded. Oh, bless God, I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. And they had doubts in their heart that they never addressed that later came out and caused them to experience the unraveling of their life. Because here's what you need to know. Both your doubts... And your faith affect your decisions and affect how you act. Joe was a business owner. He owned a business that in the economic downturn went belly up. Poor old Joe. He's so upset. He's praying. He's on the verge of losing his house. God, I lost my business. I'm your child. Please, God, help me. I need to pay my house note. They're about to foreclose. God, let me win the lottery. Brenda, did you tell this story one time? I think, or somebody did. Amen. And so at any rate, it's a joke, joke, joke. Everybody, joke, joke. Got this? Okay, just want to make sure you understand. And so Joe is saying, God, let me win the lottery. Amen. And, you know, Saturday night comes, and he doesn't win the lottery. Monday morning, he's praying again. God, they repossess my house. I already lost my business. God, please let me win the lottery. They're about to take my car. Please, let me win the lottery this week. Somebody else wins it Monday, the next Monday morning. God, I've lost my business, I've lost my house, and I've lost my car. My wife and my kids are hungry. We're, we don't know what to do, God. I've been your servant. Oh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Please, let me win the lottery. And all of a sudden, a light comes on. Laser beam from heaven. Surrounds Joe, and Joe looks up. And it's unearthly quiet, and you can hear angels singing, Hallelujah. And then the, a voice speaks, a deep bass voice. Come on, Joe. Help me out a little. At least go buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Faith affects your actions. You see what I'm talking about? 
eventually, if your doubts are not answered, they turn and harden into unbelief. And this unbelief is why I'm addressing this subject today. Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is struggling to believe. Unbelief is refusing to believe. You see what I'm saying? Doubt is honesty. Faith, or rather unbelief, is obstinacy. You see? That's a difference here. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is refusing to move out of darkness. And that's the problem with so many of those out there. Oh, you hear them. I'm looking for truth. Yeah, and then they start making fun of Christians. You listen to people like Richard Dawkins and some of these others. And at the end of the day, when you've taken their arguments away, this is what Richard Dawkins will tell you. Well, you're just stupid and, don't, and not as educated as I am. That's prideful arrogance. That's a Bible's definition of unbelief. Amen. And I'll tell you this. Some atheists are looking for God the same way a policeman, or rather a thief is looking for a policeman. Not real hard. You understand what I'm talking about? Why? Because if they ever encounter God, it's going to mess up their life. Their flesh has given in and you're gonna, they're going to have to straighten some things out. And so they would rather say, ha, ha, I don't believe in God. And push away spiritual matters than deal with issues of their heart and their life. Amen. How do you overcome doubt? You don't overcome it by praying. I'll tell you that right now. If you're praying for God to help you overcome your doubt, that won't work. If you're fasting, it won't work. You say, what about where Jesus said this kind comes out but by no other means in prayer and fasting. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. That's what he was talking about then. Amen. That refers to spiritual warfare on the part of a, of a believer. Okay? But for someone who is struggling with doubt, that's not going to fix your unbelief. It won't fix your doubt. Uh-uh. There's only one thing that will fix your doubt, ladies and gentlemen, and that is knowing truth. Knowing truth. The problem is, is that the definition in the faith community for knowing is different than it is in the scientific community. In science, they claim that you don't know anything unless you have verifiable systematic proof that can validate it and be, be replicated under similar circumstances each and every time. Only then do you know it. Uh-uh, not so. I'm going to prove it to you right now, okay? Watch this. You tell me that you're broke and you need some money and I reach into my pocket and I take something out. Now I have it in my hand and I turn and I say, Trey, let's do this again, Trey. He was with me in the other services and helped me out. He's my spiritual son. Trey, what do you think I have in my hand? Money. Well, what do you folk think I have in my hand? Come on. You said you were broke and I reach into my pocket. Come on. Get, get, get on. Okay. You don't know that. You haven't seen it. I could have a bus token. I could have a gift certificate for Papa's. You just told me you were hungry. Broke. Starving. Amen. That's right. So then, it's not faith. It's your opinion. But watch this. I turn to you and I say, okay, you think I have money. That's your opinion. Now let me give you faith. And I say, you're right, Trey. It is money. He still hasn't seen it. But I ask you, Trey, what do I have in my hand now? I just told you it's money. What's in my hand? Money. Why? Why do you believe that? Because I told you, and I have never told you anything that wasn't true. 
everything I've ever told you has always been the truth. So now it has moved from opinion to faith because you haven't seen it. Watch me destroy your faith. Money. How did that destroy your faith? Because once you see it, it's not faith anymore. It now becomes knowledge. Watch it. Come on. i got to help you. I'm showing you something that, that will change your life here. I've shown it to you. You've seen it. Because what is seen is not faith. Jesus said, blessed are they that believe and have not seen. That's what the word says. Are you hearing? Amen. So we have moved through the faith continuum from opinion to faith to knowledge. And what's this? Since I told you I would give it to you. Come up here, Trey. You now have experience. Give me that back. I'm teasing him. He knows that. We had fun in another service earlier. What happens once you have experience? You will never doubt again as long as you live. This is what God is trying to lead us through. For example, you have someone in your family that's sick. We've had miracles happen. Domingo, where's the, the, right over here? Is your stepdad here today? I'm looking for him. Nine o'clock service. He had cancer. They were, Ruth sent me emails. The doctor said he had cancer confirmed by numerous tests. And they were getting ready to do surgery. And went to do another test to know how to perform the surgery. And guess what? Between the other test and this one, it disappeared and it's gone. Gone, 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 gone. Now let me, am I telling you the truth? Am I telling, yeah, there he is, Domingo, one of our board members. That not only will his stepdad never doubt because he's had experience, that whole family right there will never doubt. And what I'm telling you is, God wants to take your doubts and turn them into faith. From opinion, you see what I'm saying? To faith, to knowledge or knowing to experience that is life transforming. That moves you to another dimension. Here's the problem with science. They don't understand faith talk. They only have, understand one kind of knowledge. Verifiable knowledge that is the product of a systematic study. That can be replicated under the very same circumstances each and every time. In other words, they cut out the opinion process they say. Now I'm going to emphasize it. That's what they say. They don't really do it. They cut out the faith process and they jump right over to the knowledge process and even pass that to the experience unless you can prove it scientifically we can't accept it. Oh really? Well let's look and see if science has ever accepted anything by which they have been persuaded to be truth that turned out to be less than that. Anybody ever have an ulcer? Some of you have. Okay, let me just tell you this, science, and I'm not belittling science, I'm just telling you, 
that there's two kinds of knowing. There's knowing the scientific way. And when they know, they know. But don't let them confuse you and make you think that your knowing through faith is not valid. Because science used to say, if you have an ulcer, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. Now, they don't say that anymore. Science has found out after all these years that ulcers are caused by bacteria. So now when you get an ulcer, they give you an antibiotic and it goes away. Hello? Oh, it started way before ulcers. Science used to say the earth is flat. On every map, there was a place beyond shore where sailors did not venture, and it was marked, here be dragons. Science. Not only that, they said that the sun revolved around the earth. Oh, yes, they did. Until they discovered it was the earth revolving around the sun. Pretty big difference. Oh, but pastor, this whole evolution thing, they have proof. No, they don't. The things they have heralded as proof, let me just tell you there, it does not exist a single transitional fossil that is between ape and man to support the, call, the, the theory of evolution. They heralded that they had discovered it. It was called Piltdown Man. Sounds ominous to all we people of faith. Piltdown Man. They discovered a jaw and a human skull cap, the cap portion of a skull, in England. And the scientific world was rocked with the news. It was put in textbooks. Piltdown man, incontrovertible, conclusive proof that evolution is science and truth. And creation did not take place, the Bible said. Sad day for religionists to discover that their faith was misplaced. And then, 40 years later, they discovered that Piltdown pilt Man actually was the skull cap of a man and the jaw of, orang of an orangutan that had been buried in the same hole purposely to fool archaeologists. And they had to change all the textbooks. Oh, it gets better. You say, haven't you heard of Nebraska, man? Oh, yes, I have. Right here in America on a ranch in Nebraska, they found a tooth. They said is once again incontrovertible proof that man is descended from a monkey. This is the tooth that is a transitional form of teeth between ape and man. Now, how you can get a whole creature out of a tooth, I'm still not sure. And they put that in textbooks and lectures were given on it in universities and the scientific community was in an uproar i'm not making any of this up you can research it on the internet i have amen and then as they continued to excavate on this ranch in nebraska they found the rest of the animal and the jaw in which the tooth belonged it was a pig <laughs> now i know what some people are thinking that shows you where man came from I, I know what some ladies are thinking. I knew it. I knew it. Every, that's all men are. That's all. In the, 
No, we're not. No, we're not. Wait a minute. Come on. Calm down. It was a pig. And they had to retract that. Science on many occasions, and that's just, I I could tell you numbers of of these kind of things, has made definitive statements declaring positions that they've later had to retract. And yet they make fun of us because we stand on the truth of the Word of God and say that we have an ability to know Not because of the evidence that we have been given, but because we know the person who gave us the evidence. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. When you know him, has he ever lied to anybody? No, there's no lie in him. He's nothing but the personification of truth itself. When you encounter someone this wonderful, you can't help but have questions. But how do you resolve them? How do you fix them? I know what people think. I know that they're they're persuaded by all of these people with long degrees and everything else. But don't you be shaken. If they get some conclusive proof, then we'll have another discussion. But until then, the Word of God is what I stand on. Amen. I'm kind of like the mother whose little daughter came to her and said, Mommy, Mommy, from what did we come How were we created? And she said, honey, God took the dust of the ground and lovingly formed it in his own image and fashioned man out of it. And that's what we're descended from. She said, that's wonderful, mother. Thank you. And she went to her dad and said, dad, I heard the most amazing story about how we got here. He said, oh, don't listen to that. And he said, this is how we got here. There was protoplasm that washed up on a beach and, and, and it was struck by lightning and And out of that emerged a creature from the ooze, the the creature of Black Lagoon. You know, and it grew a tail and swung in the tree. And then the tail disappeared and it walked on the ground all hunched over like this. And slowly started standing up and eons later became a man and the tail disappeared. And the little girl listened, fascinated, and she went back to her mommy. And she said, Mama... When I told daddy what you told me, he said that we descended from protoplasm, watched up on a beach. It became, you know, this creature that climbed out of the the slime and crawled into a tree and became a monkey and eventually got back on the ground and became a man. Mama, how can you explain that? You said we were created from the dust of the ground. She said, oh, baby, that's easy. He's telling you about his family tree. I'm telling you about mine. (laughs) That's his ancestor's. That's his side of the family. Amen. Look, Christians need to understand God's word is true. So how do you overcome doubt? I'm closing with the word of almighty God. Faith comes by hearing and that by a word from God. That's what the scripture declares. Faith comes by hearing that by a word from God. This is incredible stuff because this book is unlike any book you've ever read in all of your entire life. And you need to know this. This book is different. This book contains something that Webster's Dictionary doesn't. The Encyclopedia Britannica does not contain it. You need to know that John Grisham's novels do not contain it. Tolstoy's War and Peace doesn't contain what this contains. This is more than just printed words on paper. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, put it up on the screen, they are spirit and they are life. 
when you read this word, life is imported to you. Do you hear that? You have an encounter with God. Word comes out, and when it does, it gets a hold of your heart, and the Spirit begins to move inside of you. And why does your faith grow? Why do your doubts become overcome? And why do your doubts turn into faith? It's because this word confronts them with its, his Spirit. And i just tell you this again as I close. You know, this creates, as I said, faith out of opinion. And that faith will always result in a knowing. And that knowing is what in turn produces experience. And once you have an experience, this is what they've said for years. Someone with an argument is no match for someone that has an experience. You can't be shaken. Because you know that you know that you know. I need somebody to just say it. I know that I know that I know. Oh, questions don't hurt you. I close by saying this. Questions actually are a part of the growing process. Our ancestors would still be living in mud huts and caves if somebody had not asked a question. Isn't there a better way for me to live than in this cave? That's why you drove from a house this morning because somebody asked a question. Hear what I'm talking about? Medicine. The modern conveniences we enjoy in life. Computers. The technology we take for granted. None of that would exist unless somebody asked a question. For example, aspirin. Little common aspirin. You know what it's made from? The crushed bark of a willow tree. Years ago, the folk remedy was if you had a headache and you had a fever, take crushed bark of a willow tree, put it in water and drink it. Aspirin would never have been discovered unless somebody asked, why do I feel better after I've, when I have a fever after I've drunk water with crushed willow bark in it? The result was an aspirin. Somebody else looked at a fire and said, is there any way to harness this energy? The result of that question was the internal combustible engine. Somebody else saw a horse and buggy go by and said, hmm, wonder what happened if we replaced the horse with this engine. The result was the car you came to church in. Abraham asked because he was raised by his father, Terah, who was a, a builder of idols in Ur of the Chaldees. And they used to bow down and pray to those idols. And one day Abraham asked, Daddy, why are we bowing down and praying to idols we made? <laughs> the result was an encounter with God. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Hallelujah. One day Israel and slavery looked around and said, Why are we slaves? We're descendants of Abraham, sons of promise. And God said that he has for us houses that we didn't build, vineyards we didn't plant, and wells we didn't dig. The result was the exodus out of Egypt. You ask the right question, it's powerful. Amen. God himself asked a question. He looked down from heaven upon falling man and said, why should I let man that I love be lost? The result was God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Questions change your life. And I'm talking to people, I don't know about you, all of you, but most of you were probably in the same place I was. And that is one day I looked around in misery and in sin and said, why am I on my way to eternity without God? When I was made to worship Him 
and Jesus paid my price on the cross and the result was I am born again and on my way to heaven and I know God and the power of the Holy Spirit the right question can transform your life stand with me across the building and gather with me at the front and I close life application points come everybody join with me I want to pray for you as a father prays over his family look at these life application points up on the screen right now number one look never be casual about your doubts turn to your neighbor and say don't be casual about your doubts don't be casual number two Don't confuse your faith with feelings. You got saved on an emotional high. But trust me, you're going to go through some dry places in your life. That's normal. Number three, understand that it's okay to ask honest questions from a sincere heart. God never rejected the sincere seeker of truth. Number four, realize that it's not doubt that disqualifies say it with me what is it unbelief never allow your spirit to harden until you say I won't be convinced I won't open my mind I just don't believe in that anymore no and number five do investigate the right sources for evidence no other book has spirit in it but this one does this is an iPad but I have Trust me, many Bibles on this iPad that I've downloaded. Investigate the right sources. Look, you wouldn't make Al Capone be in charge of bank security, would you? I'm serious. You're going to ask Osama bin Laden to take over security at the airport? Then why are we going to sources that don't even know God to ask questions about God? I don't care what Uncle George says. Bless God, I don't believe in that, you know, and hallelujah, you know, and whenever David fate faced the, the waters of the Red Sea and Moses killed Goliath, and I mean, that's his depth of knowledge right there. He's confused, he don't even know who killed who. And you listening to him tell you about, uh, 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 be careful about your sources. Make sure there's sources that guide you, and the right way is the seeker of truth. And number five, and number six, do not require positive proof or absolute proof. Don't require an answer to every question. I must stand here today and tell you that I will carry some of my questions to heaven with me. But I've had enough of them answered along the way that that's okay. Because I know the one that I serve and he's never led me wrong, Brother James. He never told me one thing that I haven't lived long enough to be true. I told you when I got up here a while ago, I was so deeply moved when they were singing that song. The one thing I've learned in 63 years is, Lord, I need thee. Every day I need you. With your hands raised, we come to you as seekers of truth, Lord. Bow your heads with me a moment. I pray, God, that you will help us transform our doubts into faith. Give us answers where we now have questions. Help us not to run from questions and let them go underground. And most certainly, God, please don't let them harden into unbelief. 
Help us to be able in the spite of opposition and in, the, in spite and in the face of forces that are trying to sap our faith and destroy it. Help us to not be afraid to stand. Everybody else is coming out of the closet. Let believers come out for what they believe as well. And Lord, we confess like the man on the mountain whose son was tormented. We believe that there's some things we still have doubts about. But help us to go through that process where our opinions become faith and our faith becomes knowing and the knowing results in experience. You can let it happen in this building this morning, Lord. If there's somebody that needs salvation, save them right now and let them know that you're a Savior. Because I can talk about it all day long, but when they experience it themselves, they'll never question it again. And Lord, if there's somebody that needs a miracle provided, somebody that needs healing granted, somebody in this building that needs deliverance, God, give it to them. Somebody that needs a financial miracle, work it out. And God, you show them that you're the God that has answers for all of our problems. ask you a question just as I close don't bow your heads and close your eyes for this one I'm going to see if we've learned enough now to be able to be open and honest I'll be the first to raise my hand after the question has been asked but how many of you will confess that at times you've had some doubts about different things see and he still loves you turn to your neighbor and say he still loves you Oh, I feel God in this 